Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I got to tell you that the Lord gave me this word. I really started working on this probably eight weeks ago. And through some crazy turn of events, uh, its flavor changed a little bit for me. Uh, The flavor for it changed when on Thanksgiving, I'm enjoying my family and having a great time and and really reflecting over everything that the Lord has done. I really am thankful. I so married out of my league when God gave me this one. It's just a fact. She's amazing. And then the three beautiful kids that I have that I sure don't deserve. So I come up here Friday morning to do some work. I've got uh, inspection coming on our building that we're building. And about nine o'clock, my phone rings, and it's a, it's a phone number of a gal that I know uh, that was married to a friend of mine that just came to the Lord here at Tree about a year and a half ago. And it's not normal for me to see her phone number on my phone. So I answer it, and she's crying. And I'm trying to get her to calm down a little bit. And all that she can really muster up is, he's dead. He took his own life. And truth be told, it was because he couldn't grasp what it is that I want to speak about tonight. So the flavor of it changed and my passion to get this word out got even greater. It began to look a little different. But before we jump into that, I want to, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your presence here. We never have to wonder if your presence is here because we carry you inside of us. You chose to place your spirit inside the heart of man. So we know that we are never, ever away from your presence. So we thank you for your presence tonight. And Lord, what we ask for is your anointing. I need your anointing to deliver your message clearly, your word clearly. It's your word and I want to handle it under your anointing, Father. And we need your anointing to hear your word properly and to apply it to our lives, Father. So we need your anointing to touch our hearts, to touch our minds, to touch our ears so that we're not distracted by the news that we got today so that we're not distracted about the gift we still have to go get or the family plans that need to be made. All of those things we set aside tonight, Lord. Tonight is just you and us. And we focus on your word, Father, and we pray that you give it to us in a manner in which we can take it home with us and be transformed by it. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Quest. I appreciate you up there, brother. Um, not too terribly long ago, I was working on the building out here and I had the opportunity to work with, uh, with a friend, with a brother from church. And it's somebody that I've kind of been trying to speak into their life for about the last year. I've been trying to draw something out of them because when I see him, I see a man that sees himself about this big. But when I see him, I see everything God wants to do in and through him. I can just see it. 
And so I've been trying to speak into that and I've been trying to build that up in him and I've been praying for an opportunity. Lord, help me have an opportunity to speak into his life in a deeper manner, just some one-on-one time. And because our father is a good, good father, he called me and said, hey, by any chance, can I come help you work on the building? I've got a couple days off. And I was like, oh yeah, come on, (laughs) bring it. So he came up here, he's married, he's got some kids. He's a great, great guy, good, good husband, good father. And I asked him a question that I often ask people when I don't know them real well, but I kind of want to get into their world and figure out who they are. I said, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And when I ask that question, I get some crazy looks because I'll ask it if you're eight or if you're 80. And I got a response that I get a lot in all honesty, when I'm speaking to men in particular, he said, well, you know, I want to, I want to love my wife and and I want to raise godly kids. And I'm like, that is a great answer. That is, that really is. It's a great answer. And, but can I just say this? I'm a Christian man. Uh, I'm supposed to love my wife. Ephesians 5 says, do it. It doesn't really say, well, if you feel like it. No, no, it says, do it. And then if I, because I'm a parent, I'm, I also have a mandate to raise godly children. That, so, so while that's part of the plan, it's not the whole plan, if that makes sense. It's a piece of it. It's just, just one piece of the puzzle. What I was really asking him was this. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? The late Robert Schuler coined that term. He said, what is it that you would do if you knew you couldn't fail? And that's what I was trying to draw out of him. And if you go to your notes, Ephesians 3.20 in the Amplified says, now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think. If you have a pen, underline his purpose. and infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, our hopes, or dreams. There's that word dream. According to his power that is at work within us. There's a plan, there's a purpose, it's a dream, and it takes him. Now, I'm gonna give you a few things that I had to give this gentleman to help him understand what I was trying to ask him. I needed. I needed to get his mind in the right place so that then he would understand what I was getting at. Number one, God has a plan for my life. I put my in there because I want you to have it for you. If you write your in there, if you write God has a plan for your life, then you might let the enemy trick you into believing that yes, she has a plan and she has a plan and she has a plan, but I don't have a plan. They have a plan, but God doesn't have one for me. So. My goes in that blank. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's for all of us. He has a plan for each and every single one of us. And his plan is my purpose. His plan is my purpose. Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Another translation says masterpiece, that we're his masterpiece. And and do you see that? It says that he created us specifically to fulfill 
specific good works that he created in time for us to accomplish is what that says. It's a plan and only you can fulfill it. And it's gonna take God in and through you. And then fulfillment in life comes from fulfilling his plan. Sometimes we'll chase this and we'll chase that and we think that if we get a new fancy car or if we make more money in our job or if we buy a bigger house or if we could just get that promotion and we chase that with everything we have, we still feel empty. The car's never big enough. It's never shiny enough. It's never enough money. The title on the desk never has enough letters in front of it because fulfillment only comes when we follow his plan. And his plan isn't about the size of your car. That's got nothing to do with it. Look at Acts 13, 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He served God's purpose in the allotted time that he had here on this earth. He fulfilled the plan. The dream of his life was satisfied and then he fell asleep. Man, that's how I want the end of my life to be. I want to lay down, go to sleep, knowing that I accomplished every single thing that God created me to accomplish so that I can fall asleep and open my eyes and in his presence here. Well done. That's what I want to do. But following his plan is a choice. Following his plan is my choice. It's your choice. He will not make you follow his plan. I'm, I'm not going to pick on any other speakers out there, but I hear preachers all the time and they'll say something along the lines of, uh, man, I was running hard from the call on my life. Man, not me. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, you created me and, and gifted me and have given me the privilege to speak to your people. I just want to get on board with that plan. That's what I want to do. And but it takes your choice. I had to agree to that plan for my life, if that makes sense. Hmm. And his plan is bigger than our natural ability. That's why we say it's a dream. Because it's bigger than our natural ability. Remember our text out of Ephesians 3.20, it says, according to his power that is at work within us. If we can accomplish it in our own strength and in our own power, I dare say that that is not the dream that he has for our life because it takes our reliance upon him to be able to walk that dream out. And I believe he gives every single one of us a glimpse of that dream. I remember at the age of 25 when he gave me a glimpse of me speaking to people and the longer I spoke, the bigger the crowd got. It was like, oh my goodness, and it truthfully, scared the mess out of me. Standing up here, whoo, to speak to a bunch of people, man, I do not consider myself eloquent at all. It takes his power. Otherwise, I'll just go swing a hammer and bang some nails. I'm good with that. Back to my friend. So I set him up with all of this that I just gave you. I asked him those questions and the dream popped out. He said, well, when I was younger, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I just couldn't quit thinking about it. But life happened. Had kids, got married, fell away from the Lord for a little while before I got married. All of this stuff. 
And I went, there it is. That's the dream. I encouraged him. I said, look, sometimes the dream, we can misinterpret it a little bit. I said, so here's what I encourage you to do. Get hooked up with Pastor Josh. Because trust me, the enemy did not tell you to go help teenagers encounter Christ. (laughs) That did not come from the enemy. Only God can stir your heart to go do that. It's crazy back there. I'm just saying, it scares me. I don't want to be back there. I don't know how PJ does it. So that's a God thing. It's a God-sized dream, and it was going to take God to fulfill it. So I encouraged him, and I keep encouraging him. Hey, have you gone back there and helped yet? Have you gone back there and helped yet? Just to see if when you do, something inside your chest just goes boom, boom. He's going to end up back there, and I know he's going to love it. But I believe that God does this for all of us. I know that God does this for all of us. And if you want to look at some of those glimpses in the Bible that takes God to fulfill that dream, I put a few of them in your notes. Moses, rescuing the Israelites out of slavery, Exodus 2, 11 through 12. Noah, boy, talk about a dream. Noah built a big old boat to save his family and rebuild the earth. That's a God-sized dream. Genesis 6 uh, through 8. Abraham, when he was old, father of many nations, it was gonna take God to birth nations out of him. And if you look at that, that's in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. How about the apostle Paul? To bring Christ to the Gentiles. You can find that in Romans 1, 1 through 6. God called him to bring the message of the gospel to folks like you and me. Up until then, only the Jews, only the God's chosen could have access. And he was tasked with bringing this foreign concept to folks like you and me, the, the, the unchosen, if you will. It was gonna take God. And then Joseph, and I don't mean the one that Mary was married to. I'm talking about as far as I, you know what? I'm gonna say that's the first Joseph you see in the Bible. If I'm wrong, I apologize. To lead and save the nation of Israel before Israel was even a nation. (laughs) Israel was a man at that point. His dad, who had 12 sons that would one day become the nation. You can read about his, and his account is from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. And his story, his account is the one that I want to focus on because in Genesis 37, 19, he's called the dreamer. His brothers called him the dreamer. So since we're talking about living the dream, let's learn some lessons from the dreamer. His life just so that you know, if you've never read his account, had all the trimmings for a really, really good episode of Jerry Springer. You think you got a messed up family. This guy had a messed up family. He had this big family of brothers. They all hated him. They hated him. Hated him so much they sold him into slavery. That's some hate, man. He gets wrongfully accused of something he didn't do and thrown into a prison for years, all because he wanted to honor God. What? That's crazy. 
Then he helps some other guys out. They get out of prison and restored to a place of power where they could actually make a difference in his life. Well, one of them lost his head, but the cupbearer gets put back in this position of power and he forgets all about this guy Joseph in the prison that helped him understand what was gonna go on. Two more years go by before he ever gets out of there. And he even had a crazy uncle, Uncle Esau, who wanted to kill his daddy real bad. (laughs) All of this in one man's life, so we can learn a lot from him. He's got a life just like probably most of us, or maybe it's just me, I don't know. I can't read the whole account, but I am gonna read Genesis 37, five through 11. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They already hated him, now they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And the boy didn't learn his lesson because then he had another dream and he went and told his brothers again. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bound down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Sometimes when God gives you a dream, it's a freebie, it's not in your notes. Sometimes you don't need to run and go tell everyone. That's for you. And if you tell the wrong people, they'll be jealous of your dream and they will try to talk you out of it. There will be naysayers. The best thing you can do is connect with somebody that you love, trust, and know, a mentor, and then have them pray that thing through with you. That's a freebie. Now, the next things that unfold in his life, that's where it gets crazy. And truth be told, most of us would have tried to find a rock to hide underneath and and pray for the apocalypse to happen because that's when it gets bumpy. He goes, his brothers are out in the field. They're tending sheep. They see him in the distance coming to check on him. And they say, man, there's that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's just kill him. But that wasn't good enough because they also, they loved something a little more than blood and that was money. So they sold him to some traders. Those traders then took him and sold him into slavery. Uh, Second in command of Egypt, basically, a governor, if you will, buys him. He ends up uh, serving this governor, rises up to power underneath the governor because he always kept his attitude right and in check. You read the account, nowhere in there does it say he bellyached, not one time, it's crazy. One day, this powerful man's wife sees Joseph and is like, hey, what's up? How you doing? And he's like, no, we ain't having none of that. Ain't happening. But the account says that it kept on happening until one day she just finally reaches out and grabs hold of him by his outer cloak. And he basically just says, man, I can't sin against God and takes off running. His coat's left in her hand. She scorned. Woman scorned is a rough thing, I'm just saying. Her husband comes home and she says, that slave tried to have his way with me, gets thrown in prison. 
thrown in prison. And eventually, because he's a man of integrity, a man of honor, doesn't take his eyes off the Lord, rises to be in charge of all the other prisoners. And it says that one day there's a baker and a cupbearer down there. Uh, the king got mad at him, threw him down in there. They have a dream. Here's Joseph. In a, think about that. Joseph is in a prison for something he didn't do. And he sees these two men and he goes, oh man, y'all look distressed. What's going on? Can I, let me help you. He reaches out to them. He tells them what their dreams mean. The one, like I said, unfortunately, the baker lost his head. That's kind of brutal. Um, but the cupbearer gets restored, forgets about Joseph. Two years later, the king has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer goes, oh my gosh, there's this dude. Oh, he's down in the prison. I forgot about him. My bad. They go and they get him. He comes to the king. He explains the dream to the king. And then he says, you know, if you're smart, these seven years of plenty that you're going to have, you better store some stuff up because the next seven years are going to be a famine. Here's how you should do that. I'm just saying, it's just advice. The king says, man, you're a smart dude. You're my right hand. And he ends up going from a pit to a prison to a palace. It's pretty powerful. He learned how to live the dream in the middle of all those crazy circumstances. There was a bigger plan. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some keys to living the dream. And I'm trying my first acrostic ever. So it's D-R-E-A-M. And if it's bad, I'll never do it again. <laughs> D, don't give up. Don't give up. Genesis 39, 23. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him, gave him success in whatever he did. It's real subtle. You got to look for it to see where he didn't give up. It says that God gave him success in whatever he did. He did not sit down on the sofa of self-pity and cry himself into oblivion. He kept doing. He kept doing. I think so many times in our lives, we're waiting for God to do something in our lives. We're going, man, Lord, this job, it's painful. I don't like it. I had a better job before, and then I got fired, and now I'm dumping fries at McDonald's, and I don't know what to do with this. And do something. And God goes, well, I'm waiting on you to do something. If you'll do something, I'll promote you. I will elevate you. But don't sit on that sofa in self-pity. Get up and do something so that I can move you into the place that I have for you. Look at Psalm 75, 7. It is God who judges, he brings one down, and he exalts another. He can't exalt you if you're sitting on the sofa. You gotta go get back in there. Don't give up. The righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. Hmm. R, reach out, reach out. Genesis 39, 22. He reached out to the other prisoners. He was actually put in charge of all of them. Genesis 40, 
8 through 18. The cupbearer and the baker. He reached out to them. He was in the same position they were in. And here he is using his gifts and his talents to help somebody else. Genesis 41, 16 through 40. The Pharaoh. The very man that is the ruler of the kingdom that has wrongly imprisoned him. Think about that. And Joseph knew what to do. He just helped. It's what he did. He continued to reach out in the middle of his pain to live the dream. So many times it's our tendency, I think, we either want to hide in the pain or we want to hide from the pain. We don't want to interact with anyone, but we have to reach out. It's how God designed it. We've got to use the gifts that he's put in us. E, be an example. Be a godly example in every season, in every area of life. That is so hard when the pressure's on. It is so hard when you're working that job and there's chaos and turmoil all around you and they put all those demands on you and all that pretty fluffy stuff they promised you on the front side, they're not doing any of it. The honeymoon was over the first day you punched the time card. You're like, oh my gosh, what a, this letter says that, uh, man, I get warm fluffies and a bowl of M&Ms with no red ones and Starbucks every morning and I only have to work three hours a week and you're already giving me the cell phone telling me I got to pull call? What are you talking about? Can you be an example? Better yet, you will be an example, but what example will you be? <laughs> Genesis 39.9, back to Potiphar's wife. Listen to Joseph's words to her. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He was setting an example. There's another example that he set right there. He ran from temptation. So many times when we find ourselves in that painful place, that's when we'll succumb to temptation to anesthetize the pain we're feeling. We won't run from temptation, we will run to temptation. We need to be an example in that season so that we can live the dream. How about Genesis 39.3? When his master saw that the Lord was with him. When his master saw that the Lord was with him. His actions and his attitudes reflected what he believed. In the middle of a prison or as a slave, they could see the difference. His actions and his attitudes showed it. How else would they know that the Lord was with him? They're like, man, we got this slave, he's skipping and singing, and man, no matter what we tell him to do, he just does it and says, okay, how much, what now? How much more? Genesis 41, 16, as he's talking to Pharaoh, I cannot do it but God will give me the answer. Pharaoh gives him the dream and he says, can you interpret it? Can you interpret it? And look at what he does. Here's a man that is stuck in a prison and he at the first opportunity that he has to self-promote to get himself out of prison, he doesn't. He says, no, you're wrong. I can't, but he can. He can. 
and he will. It's who he is. He didn't get up there and say, yeah, you need me on your team, man. I am the star quarterback. He gave all the credit and honor to God. He knew that's what needed to happen. Mm. And here's the real kicker. There came a point when his brothers had to come and get some food because of that famine that happened. They don't recognize him because he's, you know, he looks like one of the Egyptians now, probably had a shaved head, wearing a fancy gold robe, speaks perfect Egyptian. He's using a translator to talk to them. The cat finally gets let out of the bag after a few exchanges and they freak out. And they're like, oh my gosh, everything that we did to him. Oh my gosh. Listen to this. Joseph says, ah, now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. What? That makes no sense. That's crazy talk. He forgave them. And dare I say he had forgiven them a long time ago or he wouldn't have experienced everything that he experienced. He wouldn't have been promoted to the palace. That's why that was able to just flow out of his mouth. Pastor David just did a great two-parter on forgiveness. If you didn't get to hear it, please go back and listen to it. It was powerful. Hmm. I personally think that Joseph was able to do all that because he kept his eyes on his God and he kept his eyes on the dream that God had put in his heart. Philippians 2.12-16 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say, hey, look, if times get hard, just stop walking it out. No, it says continue to work it out. Continue to walk in your salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You got to walk out your salvation in order to fulfill his good purpose. You got to connect with him on that. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine like stars in the sky. That's really what it's about. I said that last time I spoke. It's about shining for him, which leads us to letter A. It's about others. <laughs> it's about others. It's about us some. <laughs> but God has called us to be about others. It's what he's called us to do. Look at Genesis 45.5. He's talking to his brothers again. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Check this out. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He said, all this junk that happened, that was so that I'd be poised and in this position so that I could save lives. And notice he doesn't say to save my life. He doesn't even say to save just his brother's life. To save lives. They were the only country that had food for seven years. I'll be bold enough to step out on a limb and say that when we get to heaven, I believe we can look that up and see that because of that, we're all here today. The world did not starve to death. That's a powerful dream. Mm. He ends up moving his family there. It's about 70 people. And about 400 years later, when the Israelites leave Egypt, they're a nation of over a million. 
because he didn't let this defeat him. He saw it as the opportunity God put in place so that lives could be saved. Think about this. Joseph's refusal to place himself first actually put him in first place. Letter M, memory. Two things to remember. Two things to remember. Number one is who he is. We have to remember who he is. Matthew 1.23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's God with us. He didn't just wind this thing up, set it on a mantle to take itself out and then walk off and wait. He's God with us. Think of Numbers 23, 19. God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is no, he doesn't do any of those things. He does what he says he's gonna do. He said he's God with us. He is God with us. It's a fact. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that started it in us, the pioneer of our faith, and he is the one that will bring it to completion. It's who he is. He is not just a good father, he is the good father. And we have got to get that down in our soul. We have got to get that down in our soul because that is what the enemy attacks every single time. With the very first Adam, did God say, did he really? He got in there and got him convinced that maybe God wasn't who he said he was and sent her into the world. Then with the last Adam, Jesus, we call him the last Adam because of what he did, the curse of sin was broken and we're redeemed because of it if we choose it. He tried the exact same thing with Jesus, the last Adam. Jesus is in temptation, he's out in the wilderness and here comes the enemy flapping his gums, trying to get him to doubt who God is, but then to forget who he is. Number two, you gotta remember who I am, who you are. You gotta remember that. It's often said that God has no favorites, and that is actually from a scripture in the Bible, but can I rephrase that for you? It's not that he has no favorites. It's that we're all his favorite. Every single one of us are his favorite. Our dad is the king of kings. <laughs> that is so huge. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. But rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Oh man, here's where it gets even better. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, there's gonna be some suffering that we have to endure. We're in a fallen, broken place. 
This place, if you keep reading down through Romans 8, is coming apart like a cheap watch. It has to, otherwise there would be absolutely no reason for Jesus, for heaven, for any of it. In order that we may also share in his glory. His promise is is that when we walk through those things and we walk through the dream right, then we will share in his glory. That's his plan. I want to encourage you to do something. Write this in your notes. I want you to go home and read the rest of that. Read from verse 18 all the way to 39. It's got some powerful stuff in there. It says stuff like, nothing on heaven or earth, not even the grave can separate us from the love of Christ. No matter if you find yourself in the deepest, darkest pit, in the driest, hottest desert, it will never separate you from the love of Christ. Man, you gotta go home and read that. Get that in you. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We just see this far in front of us, folks. We live in a temporary body. Eternity is set in our hearts, but God has seen the whole picture. I know it might seem painful right now. I know it might. I don't know what you're going through. I've been through some painful stuff myself but you'll come out the other side and he'll work it for your good. It's a promise, it's who he is, and he'll fulfill that dream if you'll get up and do something about it. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.